The Shoreshine Podcast, shining a light to the nations. Well, shalom once again. We are discussing the mark of Cain and how all the things that happened in the beginning are going to happen in the end, including this mark. But we're going to be looking at the mark as not just something that's physical, but it's something that is manifest the character and the nature of Cain and the seed of the serpent at large. Because this hostility that has existed between the wheat and the tares, the good seed, the other seed, uh, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent, it was manifest for us in the beginning and specifically when we look at the story of Cain and Abel. In fact, I want you to notice that, number one, the serpent is the first beast that was cursed by God. Let's read that in Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And then going on to verse 14, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, that is, seduced and deceived the woman, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now, we know that by this uh, well, as a result of what happened here in Genesis 3, that the ground is going to be cursed. And so I want to recommend to you that if the ground is cursed, that anything that grows from the ground, any fruit, is going to be cursed as well. And so then the ground was cursed, and Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, meaning, or suggesting anyway, that the offering that Cain brought to God was cursed. The fruit of the ground was cursed because the ground by that time had already been cursed. And so if something is cursed and it brings forth something from it, then it would seem logical to assume that that it produces would also be cursed. And of course, this plays into why Abel's offering, because he offered the firstlings of his flock and of their fat, why his offering was accepted and Cain's was not. Well, if that is true, then consider this. We just read how the serpent is cursed. And so then it would seem that anything proceeding from the serpent would also be cursed as well. In other words, the seed of the serpent is going to be cursed. And when we say seed of the serpent, I want to be very clear about this. We're not talking about literal physical seed. I do not believe, do not advocate, nor ever have that Cain was the result of some physical relationship between the serpent and the woman. I know that there are people who teach and believe that. We do not. We don't believe that at all. But when we say seed of the serpent, what we mean is those who have rejected the good seed, that is the word of God, the Messiah, And when they do that, by default, they ingest the other seed, the seed of the serpent, the adversary's word, which is a lie. And so then that's why Cain is called of the wicked one, and he's regarded as being the seed of the serpent. And so notice then that Cain is the first person who is cursed by God. Let's read in Genesis chapter 4. It said, And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive 
and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. So again, Cain is the first person who is cursed. And I believe anyway, essentially because he had tried to curse what God had blessed. He was provoked by jealousy and goes out and kills his brother even after God had said, don't you know what to do is right. If you do right, I'll accept your offering as well. But he went out and murdered his brother anyway. Provoked by jealousy, he strikes out at the righteous seed, what God had blessed. Now, it's important here to interject what God had told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we said that Cain essentially tries to curse what God had blessed. Abel obviously lived a long time before Abram or Abraham, who God said, I'll curse those who curse you. But we need to understand that the seed of Abraham is not determined by bloodlines and genealogies, at least not exclusively, but by faith. And we see, according to the writer of Hebrews, that Abel was basically doing the works of Abraham before Abraham ever was. Abel is regarded as being righteous Abel. He is someone who exhibits faith, and that's why his offering was accepted. So, that is to say that Abel, representing the righteous, representing that which the Creator has blessed, that's what Cain struck against. The the jealousy and the rage that was inside of Cain prompted him to curse or attempt to curse what God had blessed. It's also important, I think, to show that it was faith that provoked Abel to offer a more excellent sacrifice, to, as Genesis chapter 4 puts it, to also bring of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat. Because what that tells me is that Abel understood that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Abel understood that it was the blood of a lamb that would needed uh, to be applied to the altar in order to cover his sin. Because it's very clear that Abel didn't just bring the firstlings of his flock. He also brought an uh, offering of the fruit of the ground. But perhaps he understood, unlike Cain, that the fruit of the ground was cursed because the ground was cursed. And so it was needed that there be the blood of a lamb to cover that which was cursed. Again, in short, what that says to me is that Abel understood the need for a redeemer. And that's why his offering of the fruit of the ground was accepted by God and why he was blessed of God. So then, again, Cain kills Abel out of jealousy because he was jealous of his blessing. As a result, he is the one who tries to curse what God blesses, and then is called of the wicked one. That's in 1 John chapter 3. Now, going back to the statement we made earlier, that he is the first person that is cursed. So now we want to do is we want to look at the specifics of this curse, because I believe that the, the details that are given to us in the scripture where God curses Cain, it gives us some insight into Cain's characteristics, his traits, his habits, and by that I mean those who are Cain in the end of days, those who are the serpent's seed, 
throughout history and especially in the end of days. Because I believe that God placed the mark on Cain in the beginning because he knew that we would come to the realization that if we're going to understand the end, we have to understand the beginning. So let me read for you in Genesis chapter 4 what it says of this mark. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now, a lot of scholars and theologians believe that this mark that was placed upon him was a physical mark, and there are varying opinions as to what this mark was. Some people believe that it was the letter Tav. And in ancient days, that letter Tav was made in the form of a cross or an X. Many years ago, you may recall that there was this so-called Iceman found in the Alps, and they determined that this man had been frozen there in the ice for about 5,000 years. Well, when they examined his body, they found these X-like markings all over his body, these tattoos. And it surmised that this mark that was on this ice man was some kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, amulet to ward off evil and a good luck charm, whatever you want to call it. Well, it's interesting because there are those theologians who believe that the mark that was placed upon Cain may in fact have been the letter Tav, and again, that would have been in the form of an X. Some scholars believe that it was some kind of horns that were given him, and there's reasons that go into that. Other people think that it was just some kind of physical malady. In, in other words, God placed a mark on him that it was manifest in his physical attributes. Perhaps, in addition to that, his character, his nature. But whatever it was, this mark, it let others know that this was Cain, and it let others know uh, what he had done, and it was supposed to keep them from trying to kill him. Now, some people suppose that this mark was placed upon Cain in an act of mercy. They view Cain as being this remorseful young man who, in a fit of passion, went out and he murdered his brother, and then he's remorseful, and then God sets a mark, lest anyone finding him would kill him. But I want you to consider that maybe, maybe, God placed this mark on Cain not in an act of mercy, but he placed this mark on Cain so that everyone would know that this is Cain, and everyone would know that this is the one who is of the wicked one, that he is the serpent's seed. And everyone would know what to look for in the end of days by examining what they see in Cain in the beginning. In other words, perhaps the mark that God placed upon Cain was the Creator's way of saying, pay very special attention to this man. Pay attention to what, he's, uh, what he did, what he says, how he acts, etc. So then, if that's the case, and here's why I believe, or in part why I believe this, because Isaiah 46 tells us, if you want to understand what's going on in the end, well, you have to understand what happened in the beginning. And so if God set a mark on Cain in the beginning, and then we have a mark in the end, who receives this mark in the end? 
It is those that have given themselves over to the beast. Well, that doesn't sound like someone who's remorseful and repentant. That sounds actually like someone who's rebelling against the Creator. Someone who has rejected the good seed and has, by default, embraced the other seed. So if that's what we see in the end, then might it be that that's kind of what was going on in the beginning. Again, perhaps God placed this mark upon Cain so that those of us who were living in the end of days would know what to look for in the end. So now let's read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, uh, the sequence of events and, and what unfolded. It says in verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass. All right, well, just on the surface, all that seems to be telling me is that Here's what happened in the process of time. As time went on, all these things happened, and Cain ends up murdering his brother. But I want to look at this phrase in Hebrew. Because if you've watched our program for any length of time, you know that we've shared things where the Hebrew text brings things out that aren't so evident in English, or any other translation for that matter. But when we look at it in Hebrew... Uh, it hints at other things. You know, we read the text and, and we see what it says on the surface and it means what it says on the surface. But then there is this element of the scripture where the creator has embedded things and things are being hinted at. And it's intended to not only tell a story of what happened long ago, but also tell the story of what would happen. Again, that's what Isaiah 46 verses 8, 9, and 10 tells us. If you want to know what happens in the end, well, go back and look at what happened in the beginning because the Creator tells the end by telling us the beginning. So in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, it says on the surface, and in the process of time it came to pass. But this is what it says in Hebrew. Vihi miketz yamim. I want you to look at the Hebrew phrase there. Reading from right to left, Vihi, and it came to pass, Miketz, Mem Kuf Zari, that middle word there, which means at the end, literally, and then the last word is Yamim, which literally means days. So in other words, here's what it literally tells us in Hebrew. And it came to pass in the end of days. So if we understand the end by understanding the beginning. And if we're examining the two seeds, the good seed, the other seed, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent, the wheat, the tares, and this hostility that exists between them, and how this hostility and this enmity and this war, whereby they cannot coexist with one another, truly begin to be manifest in the story of Cain and Abel, then it's striking that in telling this story, the Creator, when He spoke to Moses to write these things down, had Him write it this way. And it came to pass in the end of days. So what does that tell me? That if you want to understand what's going to happen in the end of days, then look at what happened right here in Genesis chapter 4. Now that mark that we refer to, or the Bible refers to, that was placed upon Cain, that I believe is not really a mark that's uh, assigned to him out of mercy, but it's a mark that's assigned to him as, as a signal to you and to me to pay attention 
That word translated mark is actually ot, and it's spelled Aleph Vav Tav. Interestingly enough, if I just reconfigure those same letters, then we would have the word Tav, which is the cross, the mark. So Ot, again, Aleph Vav Tav, it's the mark that was placed upon Cain. But the raw definition of this word Ot is it's a signal, it's a beacon, it can be a monument, it's a sign of something. Um, one commentary says that it's a warning. It's a warning of remembrance. So again, this, as far as I'm concerned, substantiates the idea that the mark that was placed upon Cain was not something just to keep people from killing him because God felt sorry for him. I believe it's placed upon him for our benefit. It's placed upon him for our benefit to, well, X marks the spot. And so when you see the X on a map, you know this is what you need to focus on here. Well, I believe that's exactly what's going on. And so it's a mark of remembrance, remembering what Cain did. And but that means before he received the mark, but also after he received the mark. What was going on as a consequence of receiving this mark? The curse that was placed upon him. So again, I believe it's placed on Cain for our benefit. God's way of saying Pay very close attention to what's going on here. It's, it's a warning. So then, that leads me to this, that I believe in the end of days, because that's what the story is to tell us about, that if you study the characteristics and traits of Cain, then you'll understand the characteristics and traits of the seed of the serpent in the end of days. Again, when we read the Scripture... It tells us a story of what happened, but it's also telling us a story of what will happen. And so many times in the text, we're not just reading history. Many times we're reading the future or we're reading the present. So once again, in the very beginning, this hostility between these two seeds that cannot coexist with one another it begins to be manifest in the story of Cain and Abel. And so what is it that the seed of the serpent, the tares, the other seed, those who are of the adversary, the wicked one, what is it that they want to do where the righteous seed is concerned? They don't want to just coexist. To the contrary, they'll only use the argument of coexistence to lure us into a trap so that they might steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe that that's exactly what Cain did where Abel is concerned. Again, I mean, Cain's not going to go to Abel and say, hey, I'm really jealous of the fact that you have the blessing. I'm really jealous of the fact that God favored you and he didn't favor me, and therefore I hate you for it. So I want you to come with me so I can kill you. No, that didn't happen. So at some point, and the text doesn't really elaborate on how it happened, but Cain had to lure Abel into a trap. He had to make Abel feel that everything was okay, that we're brothers, everything's all right. I just want to go show you something out here. He had to come across to Abel as one who wanted to coexist with Abel. But the coexistence was the trap. That was the lure. That was the prize that he dangled out in front of Abel 
this idea that you and I can get along, that we can be brothers. That's the very thing he used to kill him. And if that's the way it was in the beginning, according to Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, and it came to pass in the end of days, that's the same thing we're going to see in our day and time. It was jealousy that provoked Cain to strike out against Abel. And what was that? What was it that prompted that jealousy? It was that the righteous seed had received the blessing of the Creator, the favor of the Creator. The other seed couldn't take it, and so had to snuff it out, had to eliminate it. So again, when we are looking at these things that happened in the beginning, we need to see that this is the story of the end. Now, when... Cain is caught and you know is, is found to be guilty of this murder of his brother. Some several interesting things that begin to happen, and God tells him this is what's going to happen. Uh, this is the results of the curse. But Cain says something very interesting in Genesis chapter four, verse fourteen. He says this. He says, "I shall be hidden from your face." It's very clear to me that this is something that Cain came up with. In other words, when you look at what God said to Cain, you will see that God never said anything about Cain being hidden. He just pronounced a a sentence upon him. He pronounced a curse upon him. But Cain is the one who says, I shall be hidden from your face. As if to say, I'm going to hide from you. I'm going to hide from you, and you're not going to find me. Remember now, we're of the opinion that God didn't place the mark upon Cain in an act of mercy necessarily, but actually as a signal to you and to me to pay attention to this. Look, examine, analyze, observe, and let it teach you something. Let it be a warning to you of what to look for. And so, again, back to Cain's statement I shall be hidden from your face. It seems to be saying that, God, I'm going to hide from you. You're not going to find me. And so by extension, that would seem to suggest that what Cain is and what he represents, and especially in the end of days, is trying to hide from God or trying to hide from God's people. Trying to disguise itself as something that it is not. You know, the adversary, when he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the Bible is very clear. He doesn't come wearing a red suit carrying a pitchfork, but he comes posing as an angel of light. In other words, he tries to hide or to conceal what he truly is. And why does he do that? So that he can more effectively lure God's people into a snare to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So is it possible that Cain is not some remorseful young man, But in reality, Cain is a rebel who is defiantly refusing to accept God's pronouncement and his sentence upon him. It's almost as if he's telling God, I'll show you, I shall be hidden from your face. And so if that's his attitude, and if that's the attitude of the seed of the serpent in the beginning, it's going to be the attitude of the seed of the serpent in the end. And maybe, once again, that's exactly why God placed that mark upon him. 
so that those of us living in the end of days could understand what to be looking for. So then let's bring it back to our day and time. You know, Yeshua said that, as we read in Matthew, that the days of his coming would be like the days of Noah, when men were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. And they didn't realize what was about to happen. And we read into that that people are going and doing what they've always done. But we also see in that that people would be mixing, that they would be mingling, that they would be coexisting, they would be being tolerant of all these different ideas and philosophies and ideologies. Ladies and gentlemen, those people in the days of Noah were the very ones who were destroyed. And so in the end of days, it seems to me that those who are mixing, mingling, wanting coexistence and tolerance, they're doing that, first of all, in defiance of the Creator's instructions to be a set-apart people. So what's going to be the logical end result? Just like those people in the beginning, those people in the end will be destroyed. Those people in the end that are going to be destroyed, for the most part, folks, are going to be rebels. Those are going to be those who say, like Cain did, I'm going to hide from you. You're not going to find me. God set a mark upon Cain in the beginning. And look at what happens in the end. These people, because they have defied the truth, they have rejected the truth, they have, have by default received the lie. And this lie has led them to damnation. They receive this mark, and they're ultimately destroyed. What I'm trying to say here is that in this world in which we live, this call to coexist, to to be tolerant of all these different philosophies and ideologies, will lead us down the same path that Cain walked. And at the end of that road, there is a mark for all of those who reject the truth, who reject the good seed, and receive this other mixed, mingled, corruptible seed. When we come back next week, we're going to continue talking about the mark of Cain and we'll look at a bit more of the specifics and the nature and the characteristics of Cain and see how that applies to our day. I hope you'll join me. Until then, Shalom. Like what you're hearing? Become a Bill Cloud Premium Partner to watch or listen to hundreds of hours of teachings and resources on demand. Go to BillCloud.com slash subscribe to start watching today.